I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Well, Mark, today I am really excited to talk to Professor Wilson on his research and his work as an algorithm auditor and as somebody who has really gone deep in a variety of ways into the field to understand privacy concerns and other challenges uh, that we are going to experience through our use of apps and in particular with algorithms. Absolutely. I'm really excited about today's discussion. Professor Wilson is one of those rare people who can both get deep into the code base of a machine learning algorithm and understand what's happening while also taking the big picture view of society, of policy, uh, and really understanding what the implications are for how the computer systems and AI systems that surround us uh, have for uh, citizens, for society, and, and for all of us, really. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. Me too. So let's jump in. Professor Krista Wilson is an expert on computer and information sciences. He is associate professor in the Corey College of Computer Sciences at Northeastern, and he is a founding member of the Cybersecurity and Privacy Institute, also at Northeastern. His academic research includes audit testing and related investigative work to determine whether online platforms and websites treat users differently based on race, age, gender, and other protected classes. Professor, you've stated that your research seeks to investigate socio-technical systems that shape our lives under the belief that by increasing transparency, we can also improve accountability on those systems. So we really look forward to exploring that further today. I first want to start off by asking you and by welcoming you. <laughs> Welcome to NAI We Trust. We're so pleased to have you. So to start off, how did you first start caring about this issue about privacy and accountability of AI systems? So this started for me um, when I was uh, finishing my PhD. I read a book by Eli Pariser called The Filter Bubble. You know, here he talked about the potential danger of personalization algorithms in search. Um, you know, so he posited that something like Google, they could infer, let's say, your political affiliation. And then in the future, if you searched for news or political information, they would only show you things that were, uh, you know, salient to your point of view. And he said, you know, that would be really, really bad because that's going to increase polarization. You know, Democrats are only going to see left-leaning content. Republicans are only going to see right-leaning content. And we'll no longer have this shared frame of discourse. Um, so one of the first research projects I started when I came to Northeastern as faculty was investigating Google search and the personalization algorithm. And that then just started to, to snowball, right? Because it's not just Google search. You know, these, these algorithms that shape what we see and what we can do are really everywhere. And they're opaque. You know, we use all these services. The services collect data about us, but we don't understand what's being collected how it's being used or how it actually affects our life. Um, so this has you know, become my, my thing is investigating systems, trying to increase transparency and facilitating the conversation, whether we're okay with the shape of those systems as they are. That's terrific. And, and there's, I think, several pieces of, of that response that we want to dive a little bit deeper into. I think the first is, is just to ask you to draw out a little bit more um, about kind of how these huge amounts of data that are collected about uh, citizens and, and, and people all over the world, how they, um, how they intersect with people's day-to-day um, -day lives and, and, and kind of where do the concerns about bias 
come in? Uh, you know, maybe you can give us a couple of examples where you've seen, um, you know, particularly um, either egregious or, 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 or high impact cases where um, that data collection can or does lead to bias. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, whether people realize it or not, this data collection is pervasive. You know, your smartphone is a surveillance device and it's on you all the time. You know, everything you do when it's being recorded, same thing when you're browsing the web, really, everything is being recorded. And that raw data is used to fuel inference. So are you a man or a woman? Do you like, you know, toast or do you like croissants? All of these, these little things. And that can then affect your life in various ways. So one area of concern is online advertising. You know, there have been numerous documented cases now where ads were served in a way that is troubling. You know, an advertiser can say, I would like to show an ad for a job, but I would like to show it to men. And that data is available. Even if you don't disclose your gender, it's being inferred, and then you will or you won't see this ad. If you're a woman, you don't even know that this opportunity is available to you. Right, it's discrimination by omission. Um, another interesting case that we saw in our own research was uh, looking at the gig economy. So these are the kind of services where you can hire someone to deliver your groceries or walk your dog, and then you can review them. This, this worker was good or this worker was bad. And we saw two things there. One was that the review data showed a lot of bias. I mean, like black women in particular, fewer reviews and more negative reviews than other workers doing equivalent work. You know, so like that's a social bias and that's bad, but it's sort of expected. The problem then was the search results. So if you go and look for a worker in the future, you get these options. Well, how are they being sorted? They're being sorted by the rating, right? The workers that get the good reviews, they're the ones you see first. They're the ones who are likely to be chosen and hired in the future. But we know that sort order is now biased, right? It's systematically going to elevate white men in particular because of that review data. So now you're compounding inequality. You know, this data that you don't really have any influence over is determining future employment opportunities, uh, which is really disturbing. It certainly is. And so we're very fortunate that there's this new field emerging of which you are one of the leaders in algorithmic auditing. Um, can you please describe for our listeners, what is an algorithmic audit? Where does one start when they're undergoing such an audit? What can you expect to learn? And what are some of the surprises or interesting findings you tend to see in this work? Yeah, so an algorithm audit, you can sort of think of me like a psychologist. You know, I'm interrogating not a person, but a computer. I don't know what's going on inside that computer. The same way you don't know really what's going on inside a patient's head. But I'm giving that computer inputs, right? I can say, I'm a man, or I'm white, or I like to shop for chocolate, or you know, these various pieces of information. And then I'm looking at the outputs. How do the inputs impact outputs? And so you can start to disentangle these uh, correlations. If we see that the outputs are systematically linked to gender or any other kind of protected class attribute, that might be concerning. Um, so we've done this a number of times. We've looked a lot at Google search and political information and fake news. We've looked at ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft to see how the surge pricing systems worked. Why are they giving you that price? Is it because they know you're desperate and they're going to charge you more? Or is it really just supply and demand? 
Um, we've looked at a lot of hiring-related systems and job opportunities. Um, you know, so some of the su surprising things that, that we found, um, in certain cases, you, you see things that are really weird. So like on Uber, when we started looking at surge pricing, it made sense, the data we saw for several months, and all of a sudden it didn't. And our, our, um, our user accounts were getting seemingly random prices. Hmm. And it turned out to be a bug. So we reported this to Uber uh, and, and they took it very seriously and they were really appreciative of that. Um, you know, other cases, we, we look at systems and we expect to find things and we don't. Um, so for example, we have spent a lot of time looking at e-commerce sites for price discrimination. So do they change the prices of items for individuals based on who they are? It looks like travel sites do this a little bit, but general purpose retailers like Walmart or Amazon or Staples don't. Um, and that's interesting because when you talk to people, I think people are pretty concerned about this, but it doesn't seem like it's actually happening in reality, at least not yet. Um, you know, in other cases where we do more discrimination focused audits, I guess I'd say I'm sort of resigned to the results. We, we hope we don't find these issues and more often than not, we do. So it's like, not unexpected, but but troubling every time. More often than not, would you mind elaborating a little bit more? Is it like 70% of the time? <laughs> what, what can one expect? How likely are we to find bias in our algorithms each time we delve into it? Well, I'm hesitant to put a number on it because most systems are not audited. You know, we just don't know. Um, you know, of the hiring related audits we've done, we have found things um, in, I guess, two out of the three cases. Mm -hmm. um, and there's plenty of stories in the news about systems like Amazon had a, a hiring recommendation system that turned out to be sexist. You know, so this news trickles out and the news is not good. But at the end of the day, we don't really know. There's all these other systems that no one is scrutinizing. Um, or if they are being scrutinized, the results are not being talked about. And would I, would I be inferring correctly um to use the, the the term of the day um that that you know we might then be safer to you know think about it in terms of biased until proven otherwise rather than um you know fine until proven biased you know would, would that be as a kind of heuristic for our listeners would you recommend kind of thinking about it in those terms yeah i i urge caution um if if we just look at how these kinds of systems are developed and, and who is developing them, there's at least now, at this point in time, not a lot conscientious about these issues. You know, people take data and they just assume it's fine. And they use uh, you know, machine learning algorithms that have no sense of fairness built into them. So no one's building things that are fair by design and no one's checking the results and the results are predictably bad. Um, Part of the issue is, is education, frankly. You know, we're training engineers on how to build these things, but not without this sense of the socio-technical implications. Um, and then some of this also comes from kind of the research community. Um, you know, until recently, there was a lot more research on how to do machine learning and very, very little, much less on how to do fair machine learning. You know, so hopefully this will improve as, as those areas improve as well. So, so I want to come back to that, uh, Chris, so, um, uh, because I think I have, we have a couple questions about education, both from the perspective of 
those who are developing and, and deploying AI systems, but also the general public who are interfacing with them uh, through whether it's a travel site or whatever it may be. Um, but I wanted to dive down into one more question, um, sort of specific to the work you do on, on auditing and, and looking at the inner workings of these systems. Um, data brokers, I think, have started to get a bit more attention. So these are the folks who are uh, in the middle of um, uh, some of these interactions between consumers and companies, kind of buying and selling consumer data. Um, I'm curious, you know, if you have any thoughts on the particular issues that are raised by that segment of the market and any work that you've done or are planning to do uh, that might shed some additional light on that. Yeah, so I'm really interested in the data ecosystem. I mean, one of the threads of my research is looking at how data is collected on the web and in smartphones and then who it goes to. Because um, what we know is that that data moves around. You know, it's not just a bunch of individuals putting kind of siloed data sets. Um, so this is an area that, that needs a lot more transparency. Um, you know, we see, for example, tracking data go into systems managed by Google, let's say, and then it immediately gets shared with hundreds of other partners as part of like the advertising process. And that's not visible to an individual. Even if you're technically sophisticated and you crack open your browser, you can't see that happening. It is. Um, and the data brokers are in too. You know, your, your Oracle data clouds and your blue Kai's, your axioms, your data logics. You know, they're there collecting this data as well. Um, and that data is, is actually surprisingly cheap to purchase. You know, we, we've looked into it. It's not hard. Um, so there's all kinds of issues there. Did people consent to that? Do they understand what that data is being used for and the inferences that can be drawn from it? Um, and then there's you know, other questions about the accuracy of it. You, know, you build this big dossier about someone. On one hand, it's creepy if it's right. And there's all kinds of bad things that could happen, but it's also creepy if it's wrong and you're like being denied opportunities because of some misclassification. So the, that, that whole ecosystem is just very troubling to me. So it's clear that uh, you spend a bunch of your time thinking about these uh, dark and unfortunate realities that we're creating. And so it's no surprise that you would want to talk about building more education and awareness. I really liked how you've said in the past, we are going, if we're going to live in a society permeated by sophisticated algorithms, it's imperative we understand how these algorithms are being implemented, the data they're using and the effect they have on individuals. Mm -hmm. Just summing it up. And I'm wondering how you think we should go about that. Is this education that should happen in all schools? Is this a professional development course that we should encourage people to be taking? If you were talking to the Biden administration, would you have a recommendation on how we should fulfill that goal of making sure that we have educated masses and consumers? Yeah, I mean, so this is a, a big challenging question. You know, we're talking about educating people, but different groups need different things from this. You know, so one aspect of this is like digital literacy for kind of just citizens in general. And that's really important. People should understand what's happening. You know, they should be able to identify cases where there may be an algorithm at play and the implications of that so they can sort of arm themselves. Um, especially, if, you know, if we're talking about future policy and legislation, people should be informed voting citizens and choosing leaders who will represent those issues. But on the other hand, I don't want to take all the burden of this and put it on individual people. 
right? I shouldn't have to vet every service I use and be thinking like, oh my God, what data is being taken and how can that be used against me? And that, that's not a world that I think we, we should live in. It's not sustainable. You know, so then we think, can think about, well, what about the people building these systems? They need innovation too. What are the issues at stake? What are the methods they can use to, to build things that are more sensitive? Um, and that's, you know, that's all the way from the C-suite. You know, what are the directives and kind of the success objectives down to the developers? What are the tools at your disposal to build things that are fair uh, and audit them yourselves? How can you tell if what you did is, is right or not? Then we you know, sort of move into the regulatory sphere. You know, it'd be great if there was more capacity at, at places like the FTC and the FCC, you know, let alone Congress, state houses, to, to regulate these things in a way that is sensible and, and balances the interests of all these stakeholders. So there's, there's a lot of learning that has to happen there too. Um, you know, as it stands, we don't really have that any, any substantive legislation on these things, at the federal level at least. And there's a huge opportunity to do good there. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and and this is something that um, we've talked about with some of our other guests, in which we're we're really hoping to see more momentum on in in 2021. Um, and I think that there are some 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 signs of that. So you know, we're hoping for the best um, and and do what we can to push it along. Um, you know, on this question of of kind of governance at the governmental level. Uh, one thing that you've done that's kind of interesting for a computer scientist is uh, deploy the tool of the amicus brief, uh, which is, you know, I think not typical in the um, toolkit of uh, computer scientists. We're curious, you know, uh, what your thinking was behind that tactic and how it's gone so far. My research is very strange. Um, Andy Sellers is in the law school at BU, and he calls what I do permissionless testing. Right? I'm, I'm going into testing some company's system and they don't know about it. And typically they don't like it. Um, and unfortunately that implicates federal anti-hacking law. So we have this computer, computer fraud and abuse act. You know, it says you can't access unauthorized, unauthorized access to protected computers. And that law is known to be very ambiguous. Um, so that potentially implicates my work. You know, I might be violating the CFAA when I uh, audit someone's system. That's a huge problem. I don't want to go to federal prison. Uh, I certainly don't want my students to get in trouble for doing this, especially if we think that this is work that is pro-social. Um, so we, we sued the government to try and uh, get clarity on this issue. You know, are we violating the CFAA when we do these kinds of audit tests? Um, so our, our case went favorably. The details are strange. So the case was dismissed but the reason it was dismissed is good. The judge essentially said, I don't think the CFA is implicated by your work. And therefore, what you're doing is okay, but you also have no case. Um, but the litigation around the CFAA and access to these systems continues. Uh, hence, you know, the amicus brief in this uh, case before the Supreme Court. Very similar issues, limits of that anti-acting law. Now, ultimately, I think this is something Congress will probably have to address because that law is just super vague. It was written in the 80s. It's it's not suitable for today. 
It's so interesting. Yet another intersection between technology development, it's uh, auditing and fair testing and the laws. And, and uh, we often think about where are there laws on the books that could be applied that haven't been? And where do we need new laws to adapt to new times? It sounds like this is one of those latter situations. Yeah, definitely. So you've done so much important work. I hope people will check out your website where you are so transparent about your theories, about the data you've investigated um, and, and some of the really important findings. I'm wondering if you can share with us what's next for you? What are you looking at and what can we expect to learn from uh, what you have underway? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of uh, misinformation focused work right now. Um, so looking at things like hate speech, um, political misinformation, but also COVID vaccine misinformation um, and how those that kind of information is moving through online platforms. Um, so social media search, what are people seeing and why are they seeing it? Is it based on like their personal choices? They sought that information or is the, the platform actually promoting this content? And what does that mean for our society? Um, other things, I mean, there's, there's always privacy work going on here. Um, we're doing a lot of, uh, new work on dark patterns, so intentionally deceptive user interfaces. Um, and then, you know, there's more audits in the future, but that's, it's, all, it's always really contingent upon access. What kinds of systems do we think are important and can we actually get at them? You know, there's plenty of areas like credit and finance where I would love to do more auditing, but I just can't get access because I'd have to apply for credit and I'd be committing fraud. <laughs> that sounds like a well-founded hesitation. <laughs> well, I, I hate that we need to wrap up here uh, because we have so many questions we want to ask and so much more we want to explore for our audience that I know is captivated by what you're sharing with us. One uh, thing we like to do when we wrap up is uh, think about the, the future, think about uh, what we have to be excited about and also recognize what we have to be fearful of. We tie that into a rose, bud and thorn. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us your rose, thorn and bud for AI in the near horizon, we'd be grateful. So I guess I'm, I'm really happy to see that awareness of these issues is increasing. Uh, and that it seems like there might be an appetite to take this on, you know, amongst regulatory bodies. You know, it seems like we we get that this is an issue, and we're getting a clearer sense of what the path forward is, and maybe we'll actually see you know, concrete action on that soon. That would be wonderful. My concern is that you know, with any sort of regulatory enterprise, things can go wrong. Um, so with respect to like auditing in particular, you know, I could imagine a future where there's an audit requirement for, I don't know, different kinds of AI, but it's really cursory. You know, it's, a, it's not transparent. It's just checking some boxes, you know, that the auditors are not credible. And it becomes just this compliance exercise that doesn't actually improve systems or help individual people's lives or, or really fulfill the social objectives that we want it to. Um, you know, so this is a process that I'm watching very closely because it, it's something we need and I'm, I'm really hopeful, but I don't want to see it get captured or go off the rails. Amazing. Professor Christo Wilson, thank you so much for being with us. Um, you have given us a ton of food for thought and um, uh, just, you know, a really um, uh, great view into the important work that you're doing. So so thank you for being with us. And um, and and yeah, we, we would 
very much hope to to stay apprised as you continue. And um, I know that our listeners will um will be will be very keen to 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 keep following up and tracking on on all of this great work that you're doing. Well, thank you both very much. It's been a pleasure. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining us. Wow, what a fantastic um, perspective Professor Wilson uh, just brought to that segment. Um, I personally am, uh, am uh, taking furious notes and I have, I have lots of things that jumped out to me, but um, curious uh, from your side, Miriam, you know, what, what, what you thought was most interesting about that and anything that particularly resonated with you. Yeah, I agree. He gave us a lot to think about. I, I can't wait to go back and, and revisit that episode again and digest further. He really has depth on so much of the the many layers in each layer of the issue we're talking about here with uh, concerns around algorithms from an ethical perspective, a legal perspective, uh, and an inclusivity perspective, among many others. I like the way he talks about his work as being a psychologist. And I love that analogy of thinking about AI as a brain that a, that a, a professional is trying to understand where you can't look at it with a microscope and understand the dynamics and not even and talking about bias, that seems a very appropriate analogy in the same way uh, that he looks at an algorithm uh, and doesn't necessarily understand each line of code, doesn't necessarily have a vantage point to that, but overall does an analysis so that he can both diagnose and hopefully treat uh, some of the symptoms. Yeah, I think it's it's a great analogy. And I think um, it, 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 it points to another thing that I, I found particularly valuable about his perspective, which is, I think that we often think about AI and it's often depicted in the popular discussions as this super powerful brain that, um, you know, is, 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 is incredibly um, uh, just kind of, um, you know, potent in its, in its capabilities. And, 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 and there is very powerful AI out there. Actually, in a sense, what um, Professor Wilson is looking at are all of these instances where AI is actually in a more mundane form being incorporated into all of the products that we use on a daily basis. You know, sometimes it's thought about or it's talked about as though it's this sci-fi thing in the future uh, where these great powerful machine brains are going to run our lives. Um, but we don't have to look any further than the present to see that AI is already everywhere. It may not be, you know, hyper advanced, but it is subtly making decisions about what ads we see or, um, you know, who we get connected with, uh, what recommendations we receive. And so just looking at all of these cases where AI is already out there and both trying to understand how it's working and then also trying to educate people on how it relates to their lives seems to me to be really important work and, and, and work that he's doing really well. Yes, and at a minimum, certainly going to make me anyhow think two and three times about the data I'm giving to every app I'm using and every other program uh, where I realize I'm feeding its algorithm. How about you? Other final thoughts? Yeah, just um, I think I think the same. I think it's a it's a kind of um, it's a wake up call and a, and a kind of call to action for all of us to just be thoughtful about the way that we interface with the the many uh computers and systems around us um you know we uh are surrounded by these systems and we also get to make choices about um what you know data we give up and 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 also in the political realm you know what kinds of um policies and safeguards we we demand 
Yes, much more to think about and discuss. So thank you all for joining us for this edition of NAI We Trust. You have just listened to NAI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.